Welcome to Street Smart Success, where real estate entrepreneurs share their backgrounds, experience, and lessons learned. This is Roger Becker, your host. Learn with me as I drill down with guests about their paths to success and what they're doing now. So today we have with us an expert in the field of property management on the residential side, specializing in an interesting market, Manchester, New Hampshire, which is seeing some growth of late. I'm very, very excited to talk to him and find out things I don't know about property management. He is the principal broker and managing partner at Blue Door Living. He is Ryan Weiss. Ryan, welcome to Street Smart Success. Thanks, Roger. Yeah, great to be here. It's a real uh, pleasure and honor. Thank you for the uh, opportunity to come to speak speak with you and your audience. You got it. Absolutely. So, Ryan, before we get into the to the to the blocking and tackling questions of property management, I can't think of a a better way of describing property management. By the way, is blocking and tackling. Before we get into that, tell me. Where do you hail from? Are you born and bred where you are now? What is the Ryan Weiss story free property managing? Yeah, so uh, I think I think the football analogy is great uh, for property management. I you know definitely knocks the wind out of me from time to time. So I think that's uh, <laughs> that's a solid analogy. My origin story. So I was born in Concord, New Hampshire, and I uh, sort of bounced around Southern New Hampshire as I was growing up. I uh, spent you know, maybe two years old to 10 years old living in Manchester, uh, 10 to 14 living in Hooksit, which is a, a little town north of Manchester, uh, and then 14 to 18 living in Allenstown, which is a, a, a smaller town a little bit further north of Hooksit. Uh, so I graduated from uh, Pembroke Academy, and then I uh, did a little bit of college. I went to uh, Southern New Hampshire University for one semester, decided that college wasn't a good fit for me, and I just wanted to, to get directly engaged into the market. Uh, and so I left college and then uh, I had a few jobs before I got into property management. I'm not sure if you're, if, if you're interested in hearing about those, but yeah. the, the short list is I was a roof salesman. That was my first sort of big boy job out of high school. You know, went to people's homes and sold them roofs and gutters. Uh, great commission only sales job, really cut my teeth on, uh, on the sales side of the business. Uh, after that, I worked at Bank of America as a relationship manager. So I was doing personal and small business banking. I was really proud of that job because in the listing, it said college degree required, but I was able to, to get it without one. So that was cool. And then after that, uh, I got into property management, worked as the leasing manager at a company uh, local to Manchester. Uh, and then three years ago, uh, started Blue Door Living with some partners uh, in, in Manchester. Um, and so since then, since, since we, when we first started uh, Blue Door Living in September of 2020, we had about 40 units under management. Uh, and just this month, we we hit 400. Um, so we have 10x uh, since we started three years ago. So it's been great growth. Started with just me. Now we have 10 employees, um, and uh, we're seeking to continue to grow. And we're very excited about what we've done so far. And uh, it's been it's been a great ride along the way. So that's sort of my uh, origin story, you could say. And along the way, I met a girl, fell in love, got married, and uh, I now have a, a son that's turning one uh, this month. Uh, so that's been a great, great progress in the business life and great progress personally too with the family life. So, okay, congratulations on that. Uh, when's his birthday? September what? Uh, September twenty sixth, which is uh, one day before my wedding anniversary. So he was born three hundred sixty four days after my wife and I got married. 
<laughs> I see. Well, that'll make it easy to remember his birthday. Yeah. Yeah. And my anniversary. I was just going <laughs> to say, yeah, yeah. I, I asked, I'm a September baby. And I was thinking maybe we would hit a coincidence. He's close to my birthday, but who cares? Nobody cares about that that's listening to this. So I will move on. I ask personal questions on this podcast. So, you, so here's the question you weren't expecting. The moving around a little bit it, when you were a kid, what were the circumstances around that? Yeah. Well, you know, unfortunately it's not, it's not a, a good reason to move. My parents got divorced when I was uh, in third grade. Uh, and so my dad lived in Manchester. So I lived with him for a period. And then my mom lived in Hooksit. So I lived with her for a period. And then moving from Hooksit to Allenstown uh, was essentially just my mom. She moved from one apartment to another. So yeah, it was, uh, you know, kind of, kind of a, a, a family breakup, which was pretty tough on me and my brother, but, uh, but, but we got through it. So yeah, that, that was the reason for the moving. How do you or do you attribute your success? Because you're, you're, you're doing phenomenally well to that upbringing and what you learned in that process. Well, I, I think I learned a lot of what not to do, which is good in its own way, right? I, I think that it was really nice because I didn't have any positive role models, I think, directly in my personal life, except for my grandfather. My grandfather was an, was an excellent mentor to me. But because I didn't really have a lot of mentors aside from him, I had to sort of seek that out outside of my home. And I feel like that really sort of gave me the opportunity to define myself because I could sort of pick and choose, you know, which people I admired and which people I wanted to learn uh, personal lessons from. So a great, great mentor of mine would be Jim Rohn. Um, I've listened to a ton of uh, Jim Rohn's speeches, read most of his books. I think he's a, a fantastic speaker and and uh, a, a fantastic uh, leader. And unfortunately, he's, he's passed, but he's he's my mentor posthumously. And uh, Darren Hardy, I think, is also a great person that I really look up to and have learned a lot from. He he wrote a great book called The Compound Effect that I read when I was sixteen, turned my life around. Yeah, I think that that you know, uh, unfortunately, I didn't learn a lot of positive lessons from my parents necessarily, but. Uh, but that really gave me the opportunity to sort of self-define and, and figure out, okay, who do I want to learn my life lessons from and what sort of life do I want to live? Got it. Well, that's the hardest question I'm going to ask the whole, the whole podcast, just, just so you know. <laughs> okay, <laughs> great. Yeah, get the, get the sweating out of the way first. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, you know, I, I, I kind of had a sense because you, you'd said you'd moved around. And so uh, very interesting. Well, good for you, man. I mean, uh, you, you did what you needed to do to, to kind of get through that. and. You choose chose mentors. I haven't heard the name Jim Rohn in years and years and years. I used to have his stuff. This is how long ago on on disc, you know, before streaming. That's how long I listening to it, you know, in, in my car. So, how do you go from forty to four hundred doors uh, in in three years in in a market that's not huge? Yeah. So that's 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 a great question. Just to Give your uh, give your audience uh, some reference. The population of Manchester is about one hundred fifteen thousand. Um, so it's not not a huge city, not super urbanly developed by any means. Um, and how how did we do it? Um, well, you know what's interesting is I haven't spent a single dollar on marketing. Um, I've never uh, advertised. I've never done direct to customer marketing. I've never sent emails. I've never sent postcards. And that's maybe in contrast to what a lot of property management companies have done. Um, and I'm not saying that that's led to our success. I think I just want to point out that all the growth that we've done so far has been organic, which is kind of interesting. So uh, what do I attribute it to? I think that we provide a really excellent product. And that's 
pretty unusual in terms of property management. <laughs> I, you, I think your audience are real estate investors. And because of that, they've probably dealt with property managers. And I think that property management, more often than not, is uh, the business of a board broker. You know, someone will be a, a real estate broker and they'll say, oh, my sales are down. Uh, maybe I'll do property management and get some consistent fee revenue that way. And so I still, you know, my focus is on the brokerage side of the business. But then I get these, you know, the small fee income and I, whatever, I can collect the rents and I can call the plumber. Um, and that's, I think, how a lot of property management businesses are started. Uh, and because of that, it's almost like the, the redheaded stepchild business where it's like, I don't really care about it. You know, if my product's low quality, who cares? If my turnover is high, who cares? You know, that's, that's not my bread and butter. That's sort of an auxiliary business. Um, with us, I am a licensed real estate broker, but I don't practice any brokerage. And in fact, my sole focus is on third-party property management. Um, and because that's my sole focus, I think that I've been able to put a lot into the business and really focus on developing our products. And, and by that, I mean, you know, we have systems in place to make our leasing really efficient. That reduces vacancy time. We've really developed solid relationships with vendors that I think reduce the, the operating costs of the owners that we manage. Our communication with our owners is excellent. Our reporting is excellent. Our financial reporting is, is excellent. And so because of that, our, I think our, our churn is low. So we keep the customers that we get. A lot of our customers I've worked with for years now. Um, and our reputation is excellent. So people have sort of referred us to other people that they know. I go to uh, real estate meetups. I'm actually uh, president of the New Hampshire Real Estate Investors Association. Uh, that's just a, a networking group that meets once a month with about 100 real estate investors and, and uh, vendors that provide services to real estate investors. Um, so marketing in that way has been helpful and just developing a really solid reputation. If you look at property managers in Manchester too, uh, we, we have either the highest or the second highest uh, Google rating. So right now we've got a four, four out of five stars. Used to be 4.1, but you know we had some, some negative reviews coming in. So we're, <laughs> we're going to build that back up. But um, yeah, so I think just developing a reputation in the market, bringing an excellent product and, and, and keeping our promises. You know, I've had some, some customers who I feel like we haven't done the best in the past. And I've just uh, you know, covered the cost of whatever the mistake was. And um, I think that that kind of customer service really keeps them, keeps them wanting to use our business and, and really makes us trustworthy in, in the market. So when you say churn is low, Ryan, are you talking about your clients or the property owners? Or are you talking about a churn of tenants? In talking that about, yeah, clients. So our churn, like our, our clients stick with us. Okay. Uh, and when you talk about leasing efficiency, so tell me what that means. I mean, I can infer obviously, but what does that mean and how do you achieve that? Yeah. So when you start getting to sort of our scale, where we have 400 units, right? We can have anywhere between maybe 10 to 30 at the most apartments vacant at any time. Initially, our leasing process was me showing up in person to show the apartments, collecting applications. Uh, through our property management software, processing the applications manually, and then contacting the tenant directly to let them know that they've been approved, scheduling the move-in. So there's a, a lot of different steps. In fact, if you mapped it all out, it'd probably be maybe 25 or 30 steps. In fact, we have when we built our processes in our business. And it goes all the way from, okay, listing the apartment for rent, creating the listing description, putting the apartment online, uh, making sure that it's ready for viewings, making sure that it's uh, rent ready before they move in, showing it, collecting applications, screening applications. Um, and so 
the key to us having leasing efficiency was taking that you know 35 step process and and systematizing it and putting people in place that can follow those systems to a T. And so for us, uh, we use software to help with those systems. So for example, a software that we use that I absolutely recommend to every property manager and landlord is Tenant Turner. Uh, and so what Tenant Turner does is it allows us to create a listing for an apartment, post it on all the different listing websites with one click of a button. It also allows people to do self-showings. So that saved us a tremendous amount of time, made us way more efficient. Uh, so tenants can fill out a questionnaire and provide us a picture of their ID and they can show themselves the apartment. Uh, and then when we receive the rental application, uh, Tenant Turner will follow up with them automatically to send them an invite to it. So that's another step we're not doing manually. And when our applications are received, it goes into our application funnel, which just takes them step by step by step all the way to getting an approved applicant. And all that is done through uh, process management software uh, called Lead Simple, uh, which makes it extremely easy for our leasing agent. They just, they just get one checkbox after the other. Checkbox number one, has everyone over the age of 18 filled out a rental application? Yes or no? No, send them an email. Checkbox two, uh, are the income docs we receive valid? Are they uh, two pay stubs, a bank statement, an offer letter? Yes, no, no, send them an email. Uh, and so that sort of clear funnel just makes it a real streamlined process. Um, and, uh, and, and because of that, we've been able to reduce our vacancy substantially. Our average vacancy rate right now is about, uh, about uh, 25 days. So that's from when the previous tenant moves out to when the new tenant moves in. Got it. I'm going to go back a half a second for clarification. Going from 40 to 403 years in a, in a small market. And, and when I, I mean, I live in the Bay Area, there's 8 million people here. So that's what I mean. You're, you're not 20,000, but you're not 8 million either. Uh, do you, have you gotten, or I'll phrase it differently, what percentage of the additional units and clients have you gotten uh, that were ma and pa versus you getting them from another property manager? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I would say it's, it's probably been maybe 60% are, are ma and pa and 40% came from a different property manager. So I would say a, a slight majority have just been sort of people that have self-managed and are interested in, in hiring a management company to, to improve their asset. All right. Here's another hard question. I, I lied. Um, although it's not as hard as the, as the other one. Have you lost any clients from the ones you inherited? Not inherited. Have you lost any clients that you got that were ma and pa and why? Uh, yes, I have. And, you know, it's, it's, it's tough when you take over from people who have self-managed. And in fact, at this point, it's actually something that is a bit of a red flag for me as a client. And, and the reason is because when someone has self-managed, um, especially for a long time, like, you know, five to 10 years, you develop a real personal relationship with the tenants. And when you have that personal relationship, it's often very difficult to enforce the lease. And it's difficult to be a real sort of stickler to the rules. And for us running a management company at 400 units, we are very strict with the lease agreements. There may, there's absolutely no smoking, absolutely no storage of personal belongings anywhere other than the lease unit. You know, all the quiet hours must be enforced. So we're, we're real sticklers for it. And um, when people are used to sort of mom and pop management, our sort of corporate style of management uh, often makes them really upset. And if someone has been self-managing, they, the, the tenants have their contact info. Um, so I, I now sort of, um, I didn't do this in the past and I think it was a mistake, but I now uh, set the expectation with people who have been self-managing that 
your tenants are probably not going to like us because we're not self-managing. We're running a business and we're going to be, you know, firm but fair with your tenants. And if they uh, say, hey, you know, uh, sorry, my rent's going to be late. I, I, I only have it on the 7th. Is that okay? Yes, that's okay. But number one, you'll be getting a demand for rent. And number two, you will be charged a late fee. And that's some, you know, that's an example of where mom, mom, pa, landlord might be, might say, oh, okay, you know, no problem. Uh, and so when we enforce the the late fee and give them the demand for rent, they're they're texting their previous landlord saying, hey, this management company's a jerk. You know, they're doing a terrible job. <laughs> and uh, you know, so and we we've lost previous uh, self-managing clients for that reason that they the tenant has a direct contact and that can damage the relationship. Wow, I'm glad I answered. I, I'm glad rather I asked the question. I I wouldn't have known that, but it makes all the intuitive sense in the world because here you are, new sheriff in town. And uh, yeah, I can see where that would require a real conversation with that owner that's turning it over you to let them know this is what's going to happen. And if your relationships are more important, I respect that, but then then this probably isn't going to work. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly I, right. Yeah, totally. I, I, I know. In fact, I, I even go to the point now where I tell people, okay, if we're taking over and you self-manage, please block all your tenants' phone numbers. They have our phone number. You know, they need to contact us for maintenance. They need to contact us with lease questions because that's another thing too. A lot of times they'll just go right past the management company and go to the landlord. And the landlord feels like they want to answer the question, especially if it's a small one. But then what's the whole point of hiring a management company? Yeah. Right. So, yeah. If I, if I don't get the right answer from mom, I'm going to go to dad or, you know, if it's not that, yeah, I, I get it. Yeah. And they work, you work too against the middle. Uh, I yeah. totally understand. I'm glad I asked. I wouldn't have known that. That's why I do the podcast, Ryan. Talk to guys like you. Um, this is somewhat tangential in, in somewhat nonlinear, but just out of curiosity, in Manchester with the, with the stuff you're managing, what's the average tenant duration? Yeah, How so long the does the average tenant, tenant stay? Yeah. yeah, probably about two to three years at most. Okay, yeah, and, they, and then they move on. Um, yeah, it's mostly maybe C plus, B minus class properties that we're managing. I see. And how many how many clients do you, would you say out of four hundred units? Yeah, so I, I I haven't checked the list recently, but uh, I believe it was about uh, about twenty five. Yep, I actually just pulled it up here. Got it. So it's on average seventeen, eighteen units. So inevitably, there's some smaller and there's some bigger. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we've got you know one guy that has one hundred twenty, and then some people that just have a triplex. I got it. What, what percentage of the portfolio, because I was on the site and I saw you do, you know, you do some homes and condos and, and that kind of thing. What percent would you say a single family residence versus apartment? Uh, so the vast majority of what we manage is, is multifamily. We have uh, some single family, but I'd probably say it's uh, maybe 80% multifamily, 20% uh, single family or condos. What's it like managing single family dwelling versus multifamily? Way easier. Yeah, because... You inevitably get a higher quality tenant, usually because the rent's higher. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's, I think it's usually much easier to manage because of that higher quality tenant base. And then, and then I would imagine, you, obviously, you, you don't have inter-tenant squabbles. I don't know if that's a thing or not, but clearly that's It is absolutely a, a thing. <laughs> okay. And yeah, that's absolutely reduced with a single family. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, hey, man. Uh, interesting. Tell me, what is the current leasing environment and current environment in general in Manchester? Yeah. So I think like most of New England, it's, it's hot and it's continued to stay hot. I've seen it soften a little bit coming into September, which is actually the expected sort of seasonal softness. 
usually by September, families are settled and they sort of have selected the school system or, you know, wherever they want to be located. So, but it's, it's still, it's still very competitive. If we price an apartment aggressively, I mean, we could, we could ex- expect 10 applications uh, in, in a week. And, um, you know, that's, that's sort of the, the status quo for New Hampshire. And I think for most of New England. Why is that? Because there's a tremendous shortage of housing, especially in New Hampshire. I think right now the deficit is something like 20,000 units and it's expected to increase to 40,000 units by the year of 2030. And, you know, I think that there's, there's a bunch of reasons that go into that. The biggest one that it would seem to me to be would be uh, land use controls. So the zoning laws in New Hampshire are really restrictive and planning boards are not uh, eager to work with you. I'm actually experiencing this right now. I'm trying to redevelop a property that I own in Allenstown, uh, taking a commercial space and converting it into two residential apartments. And it's, it's proven to be pretty difficult. So I think that that deficit of units is going to continue. Mm, lovely. Uh, well, I say, well, I, I say lovely selfishly because I, I, I just made, made an investment with a mutual contact of yours and mine. How many property managers are in Manchester? And that's probably a weird question because you've probably got a guy working out of his house managing three houses and then you've got somebody of your scale. But let's, I'll define it more. How, how many property managers in, Manche- in Manchester are managing more than 100 units? Yes, I'd probably say there's six or seven sort of reputable companies managing out of Manchester. There are some larger, um, quote unquote, property managers. You know, I think of like, a, like there's a company that's, that's called Brady Sullivan. There's another company called Elm Grove. And, and they do property management, but it, they're more so shifting towards managing units that they own themselves. I, I'm not even sure if either of those companies are accepting third-party clients at this point. So for companies that are accepting third-party management, yeah, probably about six or seven. Are there, are, are the six or seven, are they all based there? Are some of them much bigger where they, they are in other states and Manchester is just one of them? Yeah, most, most of them are based locally. Okay, got it. Yeah, maybe, maybe there's one that's, that's, that's based in, in multiple states. Do landlords, property owners go through a bidding process where they'll talk to you and a, and a couple few of your competitors and you need to put together a presentation or is it pretty much by the time they call, they know they're going to hire you? I think that they'll typically collect bids from uh, a few property managers. And I think that's a, that's a smart thing to do. But would you like to know the, the dirty little secret about property management pricing? Yeah, I, you bet, man. Yeah. How, can I say, how can I say no to that? <laughs> <laughs> so I'll tell you, there's a ton of auxiliary fees. And in fact, um, I derive 40% of my revenue from auxiliary fees. So let me, let, me go, let me expand on that. So when you call a property management company, the fee everyone wants to know about is what's the management fee? What's the management fee? What percentage of the rent do you keep? And I know that a lot of companies will have strategic pricing where they make that fee artificially low to entice clients to sign up for their management services. But the truth is, is that there's a ton of other fees that a management company will charge such as a leasing fee. That is some percentage of the month rent that they collect when they lease the apartment. Uh, They may also charge markups on supplies. They may charge markups on contractors that they hire. They might charge a lease renewal fee. They might charge a client termination fee. Uh, They might charge uh, some sort of accounting fees. So there's all these different fees that that management companies uh, will charge uh, to make up for that low income collection fee. Um, and when I first started my business, I was actually kind of annoyed with that pricing structure. And I thought, hmm, I wonder if I can just 
have an income collection fee and no additional auxiliary fees. So people know exactly what they're paying for when they sign up. And the percentage that I came to that would sort of account for all those uh, additional fees was about 13%. Uh, and so I, I, I sort of soft tested the market. I talked with some investors and I said, hey, would you consider a management company that has no additional fees, but charges a 13% income collection fee? And the answer that I got was, no, no, I don't, I don't want that. Uh, I want that low management fee. And if they charge some auxiliary fees, sure, that's fine. But, um, but that's way too high. I wouldn't sign up for that. And the truth is, is that, uh, you know, the, the income collection fee that I'm coming to right now in my business is about 13%. So that's what I'm getting at the end of the day. But my income collection fee is 8%. So really, there's, there's five whole percentage points of the income collected that's, that's going to me through leasing fees, through lease renewal fees, through markups on contractors. Markups on contractors are huge. A lot of people that, that put buildings under management with us are doing large repositioning projects. So you know, $100,000 in CapEx for the buildings we manage is not unusual. And then we would charge a 7% markup. So there's $7,000 on managing that project for that client. So you know, when, when you're considering a property management company and collecting bids, it's super important not just to say, okay, what's the income collection fee? It's really important to get the full scope. And so when I prepare um, uh, a pricing sheet for our, for our potential clients, I disclose all of that. You know, all that's very straightforward. And in fact, I even pointed out, you know, I, if you call, you know, let's say XYZ company in Manchester, they're going to tell you their income collection fee is 5%. That does not mean they are cheaper than me. You need to ask what those auxiliary fees are. So that's, uh, that's super important. In the process, do you make in-person presentations or is it just a, you know, it's by phone, hey, send over a proposal or what does that look like? Yeah, so um, that's that's usually up to the client. Some people, you know, I, I usually offer to get coffee with someone. I love to meet people. And I, I think that often like real estate investing is a very personal thing. Like people um, sometimes inherit properties from uh, family members that passed away or they buy a property, live in it and then move out and want to have it as a rental. So oftentimes people's properties, it's very personal. So I want to meet them and learn, okay, what does this property mean to you? Uh, you know, and, and why, why are you considering management of it? Um, so I usually offer to get coffee at, you know, a local coffee shop or meet at my office here in Manchester. Um, but a lot of people just want the price and that's okay. I'll just email that to them too. If that's, if that's what they're insisting on. Hmm. Very interesting. I guess I asked this cause I, I come from a sales background and so I relate very much to the sales process of it. It sounds like you're more, um, dispassionate about it than a different business though altogether. But like, cause I'm sitting here thinking, if I want to be honest, I'm thinking if it's me, I'm going to do everything I can, especially if it's a competitive situation, which you never know if it is or it isn't. I'm going to want to get that, like you said, cup of coffee every, every, every time if I can to be able to articulate what you're able to articulate, really the differentiator. Because in my mind, like, I think the conventional thinking which you alluded to earlier when we first started talking is that property management sucks. Like that's the baseline. And so as the property owner, and I'm not saying I'm that sophisticated because I'm not, but, but I understand I'd rather pay more for great property management because it end up making me a hell of a lot more money and have a far, far, far few headaches. And, and to me, it's the intangibles in that, not just here's my pricing on a, on a piece of paper. If I'm the owner, I would want to meet the person. And if I'm in your position, I would want to meet the owner to also to be able to articulate those differentiators. Yeah, I would say most of the time I do meet with, with them in person. 
And and if they decide they want to move forward with our company, then I absolutely meet them in person before we you know move forward 100%. So, got it. Very interesting. What are uh, leases uh, coming in at? Let's say year to date. How many uh, units have we leased so far? You mean no, no uh, rates. You know what? What's yeah, the market rates. compared to a year ago? Yeah. So off the cuff, about seven to eight uh, percent over over last year is what I would say. Wow, yep. that's incredible. Where are people moving from? I, I mean, I'm assuming obviously the housing shortage is is a result of new, obviously no new building and people moving there. So where are they coming from and all that kind of stuff? And what are the demographics of people moving there? Yeah, so Manchester's kind of uh, placed interesting geographically. It's just one hour north of Boston. And I think New Hampshire is just a really great place to live because you've got uh, Boston, which is a major city one hour south. You've got Hampton Beach in the Atlantic Ocean one hour east. And then you've got North Conway and the White Mountains and Mountains and Lake Winnipesaukee one hour north. Um, so it's a, it's a really nice sort of central location, which I think is making it sort of a desirable place to live. I think a lot of people will live in Manchester and commute to Massachusetts uh, for work because there's, there's just more jobs down there. Um, so we've seen a lot of people sort of migrating north, especially Nashua, which is about 30 minutes south. Just seen a ton of people migrating north. And just to give you some data, so right now the average rent in Manchester, one bed's renting for uh, $1,375 on average, two bed is at $1,600, uh, and a three bed is at uh, uh, about $1,725. Interesting. I would think if, a, but, but I don't know, but just my reflex to that, I'm thinking if a one bedroom's $1,375, I would think a two bedroom would be a lot more than $1,600. I'm obviously wrong. But is there, am I thinking crazily or is there a reason for that? Or have you never thought of it either? That's just what the market is. And, and the same thing with, you know, the increment going from two to three is, you know, 125 bucks. I would think this, there would be a greater spread there. Is there a reason or that's just the way it is? Yeah, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure. I've actually seen the margin two bedroom apartments increase over time. So previously, you know, maybe a, a one bed was renting for 1200 and a two bed would be 1350. Uh, wow. and so now that that margin has expanded to to 300, if I had to hypothesize, I would suggest that um, that a one bed is maybe a single person or a uh, or or a couple, uh, whereas a two bed is almost always two income earners, and three bed and beyond is is maybe more so family oriented. And in some cases, you can have a two bed that's actually two couples, uh, which is maybe allowing the the rent to be to be pushed further than 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 a one bed. Well, we're thinking alike, but it, that's exact. But I'm thinking if you've got two income earners, let's let's say they're not couples, maybe it should be a greater. That's yeah. what I'm thinking. I don't know. Yeah, you know, maybe I maybe I need to go buy property out there and and shake the market up. I don't look. Boston's always been an hour south. There's nothing new, but yet you're saying more people now are commuting. Is that right? And if it is, when did that start becoming something more prevalent? And why. Yeah, so that probably started increasing in prevalence about 15 years ago. And mainly it's because Manchester has always been cheaper than, than Boston and the surrounding areas to live in. Uh, and so the one hour commute is worth saving, you know, maybe seven to a to $1,000 in rent each month. I think with remote work too, that's also increasing in popularity. And also New Hampshire is a no income tax state, whereas Massachusetts does charge an income tax. So I'm not, a, I'm not a tax accountant by any means, but I, I think that there is some benefit accrued to you if you live in New Hampshire and work in Massachusetts. I think maybe you pay a reduced income tax rate or something like that. It's all good news, puts you in a, in a, in a great 
a great place. What would you say, Ryan, is the biggest challenge to doing what you do? Oh, the biggest challenge? Well, yeah, that's a great question. I think from my perspective now in building a management company, I've done a lot of stuff uh, sort of just by figuring it out. You know, like how do I lease apartments? I don't know. I'll just figure it out. I'll just make something up and, and try it. And really what I should have done is I should have leaned more on models from other successful property management companies. Because the truth is, is that property management is, I would say, essentially a solved business. Like there are expert property managers out there that'll tell you the best way to lease apartments, the best way to advertise your listings, the best way to manage tenants. And if I could go back and, and do it again, I would just copy what the experts are doing. And I wouldn't try to figure this stuff out manually for myself. I think my product would have been better much sooner, much faster. And that's what I do right now. You know, I, I find people in the property management industry whose businesses I really admire. I try to get them on the phone. I want to talk to them and learn about what they're doing. Um, some great ones. There's Peter Lohman. Uh, I believe he's based in Ohio. Uh, and he runs RL Property Management. Uh, he also does property management consulting. Uh, but he has been instrumental in, in improving my business. He, he He's public about the kinds of software that he uses, how he structures his process. In fact, he also talks about how he structures his business, what roles are in his business. Um, and if I could go back, I would avoid a ton of challenges just by looking him up right away, finding out what he did and doing that. <laughs> so um, yeah, I think that's similar to a lot of businesses, which is find out what the most successful person is doing and model that in your own business. Um, and that'll save you so much, so much time and headaches. Yeah. And the resources today, because of, you know, because of online, it's there at your fingertip. Um, yeah. he, he was, I had him on my show a couple-ish years ago. Oh, uh, did you? Was, yeah, yeah, I, I did. Um, I think I, you're the second one after him. He's the only other property management guy for no particular rhyme or reason. Well, it's an honor to be on the same show as him because he's, he's, he's big time now. He's doing a great job. Got it. Well, speaking of which, where do you want to be five, 10 years from now? Uh, 10 years from now, we would like to manage 10,000 units and be a New England regional company. So we'd like to have an office in Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, and Massachusetts. So that's, that's, that's the 10 year goal. Five years from now, you know, I think that, that, you know, growth in any business is usually exponential, right? So if five years from now we could be, may, be maybe 1,500 to 2,000 units, I think that would be a great success. And that would really sort of line us up for that, for that long term 10 year goal. Okay. Well, you know what? I'm, I'm confident you'll get there after this uh, nice little conversation. If somebody in Manchester is listening to us or people that just want to talk to and converse or what have you, and there's some value both ways, how would they do that? Yeah. So uh, you, can, you can look me up online, Ryan Weiss. You'll see Blue Door Living Property Management. You'll see me on LinkedIn. You can email me. My email is Ryan Period Weiss at bluedoorliving.org. You can also look up my business, give us a call. Yeah. I'm always happy to connect and, and talk with people. So. Ryan, I very, very much appreciate your time and uh, I've learned a thing or two and uh, hope to do it with you again at some point. Awesome. Thanks, Roger. Yeah, well, it's been a real pleasure talking about property management with you. Yep. Thanks a lot, Ryan. Appreciate it. Talk to All you right, soon. All right, great.